Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening. This is Montgomery County Today, and I'm Durley with the Public Information Office. Today's podcast will feature an audio recording of the second COVID-19 virtual town hall meeting from the New River Valley Public Health Task Force. This town hall took place Wednesday, May 13th, and the panel includes law enforcement from localities in the New River Valley, as well as fire and rescue representatives. Good evening, and welcome to the second installment in a series of six virtual town halls being presented by the New River Valley Public Health Task Force. We appreciate you welcoming us into your homes or wherever you may be viewing this event. Beginning this week and each subsequent town hall, we'll be joined by Doug Williams, who is providing sign language interpretation services. Thank you, Doug, for your assistance with our series. You will learn as we move through our program, the Newer Valley is blessed with leaders who care deeply about our communities and they truly work well together. As a result, our citizens should feel confident as we collectively navigate COVID-19 in the New River Valley. My name is Kevin Bird, and I'm the Executive Director of the New River Valley Regional Commission. And I have the pleasure of serving as moderator for our virtual town hall series. The New River Valley Public Health Task Force I referenced earlier has been hard at work since early March, aligning resources and deploying strategies to support the public health needs of our region. Nearly three months ago, Local law enforcement, fire and rescue organizations, hospital and public health officials, local government managers, local public information officers, education officials, and others began to develop and activate regional plans for the COVID-19 pandemic. Since then, the New River Valley Public Health Task Force has been working through phase one mitigation, providing increasing levels of testing, to all communities in the region, and securing testing resources and protective equipment for frontline medical and public safety personnel. Each week since March, the task force has provided scalable drive-through test sites across the NRV with faster turnaround for test results. The task force also prioritized clear and consistent messaging and an abundance of public information a result of which is this six-week series of virtual interactive town halls with our second one tonight. As our series continues this week with the topic of law enforcement and emergency services, the panelists assembled this evening are directly involved with the New River Valley's response to COVID-19. The questions they will be addressing were submitted by residents across the region prior to tonight's town hall. For more information about this series and to submit questions for future panels, please visit www.montva.com forward slash NRV town hall. You may also submit live questions via Twitter by using the hashtag NRV stronger together. And we'll answer them as we're able with time permitting. As I introduce each panelist, they'll provide a brief introductory statement. First on our list this evening is Hank Parton. He is the sheriff from Montgomery County. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for having us into your homes. And uh, hopefully with some of your families, uh, you'll get to uh, meet 
those of us who are trying our best to take care of, of our communities in the New River Valley. So COVID-19 has uh, certainly changed our lives and uh, it's changed uh, our field of, of business as well. In my 33 years, um, I've, I've never had to experience or deal with anything like this, but we're all navigating these waters together. So I can tell you that there's nowhere else I'd rather be than with those that I'm working with now. And just like in any other times of crisis, we always come together and that's exactly what has happened uh, with our public health task force and all my brothers and sisters that we've been working with. So it's a pleasure for us to serve you. And I can promise you that all of us and our agencies are doing all we can to keep everyone safe. Thank you, Sheriff. Next, we have Mark Wilson. He is the Chief of Police for the Town of Christiansburg. Yes, thank you, Kevin. I've been the Police Chief in Christiansburg for uh, 13 years, and I'll echo some of what the Sheriff had mentioned. Uh, we've had crisis in our community in the past. We have crisis now with COVID-19, and we'll have crisis in the future. But the most important thing is that we come together during crisis in this community. And uh, us coming together is gonna lead us to recovery. We know that the work of the task force and everyone that's involved tonight has worked diligently for the past two months to get us on the road to recovery. And I'm simply blessed to work with such professionals in this region and um, look forward to recovery and uh, look forward to tonight. Thank you, Kevin. Great, thank you, Chief. Next, we have Anthony Wilson. He is the Chief of Police for the Town of Blacksburg. Hey, good evening, I'm Anthony Wilson. Like I said, uh, I've been the Chief of Police in Blacksburg for the last six years. And uh, like I said, I don't wanna sound redundant, but uh, been a proud member of our task force uh, from the onset. Uh, we learned through adversity a, a lot of hard lessons in the New River Valley. But uh, the one good thing is, is, is everybody you see on this screen today uh, and a, a ton of other folks are all connected uh, to make sure that we can keep this community safe. And, and I think there's never been a time I've ever been a prouder citizen of the New River Valley than today uh, and the job that's been done here. So thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Chief Wilson. Next, we have Mac Babb. He is the Chief of the Virginia Tech Police Department. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, again, my name is Mac Babb. I'm the relatively new chief of police at Virginia Tech. I've been in the uh, community about five years and it's certainly uh, been very impressive to be a part of uh, this larger group and, and help to kind of contribute and do our part to make sure that we're keeping the entire community safe and, you know, during this pandemic. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. Next, we have David Underwood. He is the chief of the Radford University Police Department. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate it. Um, great to be a good uh, part of this uh, conversation, uh, the task force and working with everyone here. So it's been a very great team. I'm looking forward to continuing working with the New River Valley Task Force and uh, trying to get a handle on COVID-19. Thank you, Chief Underwood. Next, we have Gary Roach. He is the Chief of Police for the Town of Pulaski. Thank you. I'm in my 20th year in service in the Pulaski community and enjoyed every year of that. But I and we have had our challenges in the past as well, but I'm not sure that we will ever, and I hope we never have one that is going to be as serious and as long 
potentially is the one that we have. I really appreciate the opportunity to participate with this group. And we all uh, are aware that in this particular circumstance, we, everyone is everybody's brother and sister's keeper. Thank you, Chief. Next, we have Jeff Dodson. He is the Chief of Police for the City of Radford. Thank you, Kevin. I'd like to thank you and um, the other law enforcement and EMS and fire partners, a part of this panel, and also the Public uh, Health Task Force for inviting us uh, here tonight and being able to share with the citizens the good work. Uh, I've been the police chief here in Radford for five months. Uh, prior to that, came from Culpeper. Uh, and one of the things that I find truly exceptional uh, just in the five months I've been here and you know, certainly facing this new health crisis that we're facing with COVID-19 is the teamwork and uh, how the community and the partners here on this panel have come together to address this. Uh, and I think it's wonderful that we're gonna be able to share with the community tonight what uh, good work we're doing to keep them safe. Thank you. Dotson. Next we have David English. He is the chief of the Blacksburg Volunteer Rescue Squad. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, thank you guys for joining us tonight. Uh, my name is Dave English and I am the chief of Blacksburg Rescue. Been a volunteer at Blacksburg for about 16 years now and I am a paramedic and I've been uh, pretty actively involved with the task force as well. Um, so I'm on tonight not only to represent my agency but also all of the EMS partners that are in this region. Very good. Next we have Billy Hanks. He is the fire chief for Christiansburg Fire Department and the emergency coordinator for the town of Christiansburg. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, I am Billy Hanks. I've been uh, on the fire department in Christiansburg here now for 38 years. Uh, it's been an honor for me to be the chief for the past 10. Uh, in my career, I don't think we've ever witnessed anything uh, like this COVID event, uh, and hopefully we will not witness anything like this again. But uh, we've worked diligently with the task force, uh, proud to be a part of this organization and a part of this group. Uh, we do uh, come together better as a group and, and we succeed as a group and I'm, I'm proud to be here. Well, thank you to each of our panelists for joining us this evening and providing insight on the response to COVID-19 in the New River Valley. We're going to start off with a question that I'm sure all of our panelists have a response to. How have public safety procedures, dress, behavior, interactions, and perhaps other operational aspects of your work, how are they different now than they were just a couple of months ago? Uh, Kevin, I'll start, as Chief Sisson. Uh, we want our community to know in that respect that we're still doing our jobs the same way. Our vision is to protect our community and that's what we're doing every day. Some of the things that may be a little different, uh, we want citizens to know that our internal procedures have been developed uh, for our, our officers when they respond uh, to citizen complaint. Um, when they make contact, they're wearing masks and goggles. So visually, that's one of the only things that you'll see different as a community member uh, is that we have asked them to mask and goggles. And we do that to provide safety for the resident and also for our first responder because simply we need to keep our first responders healthy and that's how we continue to provide service to our community. And I'll echo uh, what Chief Sisson said. It, for our officers, we, we did outfit them with 
could as much personal protective equipment as we could. Uh, we are also putting in place that the, our citizens have different ways to contact us now. They, uh, they can report crimes through the internet. They can also, we have a robust phone call-in system. So like I said, as far as what you'll see, we are still continuing to, to provide 24-hour service to our citizens, um, but we are empowering them with the, the best personal protective equipment that we have and, uh, and trying to get as many venues for the public to get in touch with us as safely as possible. Chief Wilson, you were talking that um, residents can report over the internet anything they might be concerned about. Um, how, can you explain that a little bit further? Yeah, we, uh, we still, uh, you know, I, I prefer that our officers do a lot of face-to-face, -face, you know, interviews and correspondence with the public. But um, we realize also that, that our officers could end up being a vector for transmitting, you know, this virus throughout the community. So we wanted to, to use technology to our best advantage. And so we, we created internet reporting uh, and some of the agencies that are here today, I know Mac and, and some of the others have already been doing that. Um, so I'd be lying if I said I didn't steal a little bit from them. But uh, it's, uh, it really is, it just gave us a lot of different venues that, that are citizens. They can simply go onto our webpage um, and we have a tab established where they can report a crime through the internet. It'll always be investigated by a police officer. You'll always hear back from us. Um, but it was just one of the many ways that we could, could create safe avenues for our citizens to keep in contact with a police officer. And Kevin, I'll just add in, um, this is Jeff Dotson from Radford City. Uh, when very early on in the process, we implemented a online reporting system as well. Uh, citizens can go on and certain types of crimes, uh, they can choose from a drop-down menu. Obviously, if it's something serious or in progress or things like that, we um, don't incur, we, are not allowing online reporting for that, but um, certain frauds and certain type of informational complaints that they want to report to us, they can do it online. We've also um, encouraged our officers to handle some calls uh, via phone calls to citizens if it can be handled over the phone to limit exposures. Uh, so we're encouraging that as well. And we've done the same thing, Kevin, with the phone, phone call. We don't have the capability as of yet for internet reporting, but we are trying to uh, control interactions in non-emergency situations. If it is a uh, emergency call, then we will respond as we always have. Okay. Well, if I am experiencing an emergency and I need to call 911, what should I expect? And is it safe to call EMS if I'm having an emergency? Kevin, uh, I can answer that one. So um, for the first part of your question about what to expect, really the only difference on the phone when you call 911 is that some 911 centers are going to be asking a few more questions to figure out if you have certain risk factors, if you um, are diagnosed with COVID-19 or if you're living with someone that is, and they can just relay that to emergency responders. Either way, no matter how you answer those questions, we're still gonna come and we're still gonna help. It just allows us to um, be a little bit better prepared as we are uh, responding and so we can plan ahead. And uh, as far as, is it safe? 
you know, I, I think it's, it's about as safe as it possibly can be. Um, all of our responders, as far as EMS goes, are taking precautions. So just like um, law enforcement folks said in the last question, uh, EMS is doing the same thing. So anytime we are out in public or especially if we're responding to an emergency, we're going to be wearing a mask and eye protection, gloves, and uh, we're also going to typically ask the patient to wear a mask as well, and we'll provide that. So we'll give them a mask, but that just protects them. And uh, especially, you know, throughout the entirety of, of the interactions with us, that just provides some extra protection for both them and for us. So if they're calling 911, are they putting themselves at any greater risk by going to the hospital? Not really. So the hospitals are actually doing a great job of um, putting things in place to mitigate that risk. So um, the hospitals have uh, either limited or eliminated completely visitors, except for certain circumstances, and that depends on the hospital. Um, but they've also really increased their cleaning and their other um, you know, precautions. So I would say people shouldn't go to the hospital just for fun, um, as that's always been the case. Um, but if you're actually having a medical emergency, then uh, we definitely do recommend that you go to the hospital and that you get checked out. Um, the, the fear of risk of um, COVID-19, um, we don't want that to outweigh you going to get medical help in an emergency because sometimes delaying care can have a, a negative outcome. Absolutely. Well, it's, Virginia is approaching phase one of reopening. We're receiving lots of questions this week about the potential need for enforcement. Which agencies have responsibility for enforcing guidance on social physical distancing, crowd size, and other individual behaviors that may affect the COVID-19 risk? And might direct that to Sheriff Parton or Chief Sisson first. So, Kevin, uh, all of what you have mentioned is going to fall into our bailiwick. Um, we, all of us, have been very impressed since the beginning of this crisis with the way our communities have reacted. They have done a fantastic job of basically self-policing themselves. When, you know, we're, we're living in an era when it seems like every other day there's a new executive order that comes out and kind of throws us all into a you know turmoil for 30 minutes trying to figure out what changed from the day before. But you know the biggies, the social distancing, the hygiene, the all of the the safety net features that we live in now. Um, everybody that we come in contact with, for the most part have just done a tremendous job and you know we've been able to mitigate a, a lot of situations that we've been in just by re-emphasizing you know the governor has stressed <coughs> we should be doing this it's to keep everyone safe and you know once we put that word out there we usually don't have to revisit um and obviously that's not 100 percent of the time but I've, I've got to tell you, and I know I'm not just speaking for myself, 
Uh, from the laws enforcement standpoint, we, we've seen people really stepping up and, and we're thankful for that. I guess the only thing that I would add to that, um, to piggyback on what the sheriff has said, we have talked about this in our meetings and our task force meetings about how socially responsible our community has been, not only our citizenry, but also our business owners. Um, many times our roles change in law enforcement. You know, most people look at law enforcement as law enforcement, but we've become educators. Uh, we have to adapt to the different general orders that are coming out and be able to relay that to our citizens and help our business owners understand that and try to get them back on the path to, to reopening and uh, being productive in our community. Well, I'm thrilled to hear about all the positive steps that individuals and businesses are taking. Um, that certainly bodes well as we take the next step. You know, if, if a citizen sees a situation they're not comfortable with, with respect to crowd size and you all receive a call, how would you all respond to that? Well, I can say that we have received those calls and I think every law enforcement agency represented has received those calls. You know, our plan moving forward, respective to that issue, we've responded, we've educated the community, um, and again, our citizens have been socially responsible and done the right thing. Chief Roach, can you speak to the, the penalties that might be involved if anyone's found violating these? Those orders contain uh, what I'll characterize as different classes of information. Some of it is guidelines. Some of it is best practices and safe practices uh, for everyone to follow. That's an education piece and one that we keep stressing. The, the ones that are termed emergency orders or that type of language could involve uh, criminal penalties and form as far as misdemeanors. Uh, for like the, the uh, uh, limit of 10 people to, to, a, to a gathering, that type of thing, that's one of those that is, is covered by that. Uh, washing hands is not. So that is, that is um, the extent of it. I'm happy to say that we haven't had to resort to that in any situation. Uh, everybody has, for the most part, has been pretty responsible. And uh, I think that attests well to everyone in our communities uh, doing so. Very good. This next question is along the same line, but has a little bit of a nuance to it here is, how would law enforcement handle it if someone asked for assistance with a person who refused to maintain a safe distance? And what are some options that citizens might use for handling this type of behavior? Well, that's, that's one that uh, is a guideline. It's a recommended practice. So your options are possibly to speak to the individual, remind them of what is a safe practice, uh, separate yourself, I realized that in a line of the store, that might be a little difficult or situation like that. Uh, but hopefully that will resolve itself quickly and 
won't escalate into something else. But if it does, I'm sure that uh, appropriate measures will be taken and one of us will be notified. Chief Hanks and Chief English, can you speak to the role of volunteers in the response to COVID-19? And if someone's interested in volunteering to support, what should they do? Sure. Um, Go ahead, Dave. Okay. Uh, so a lot of the fire and EMS agencies in our region or are either completely volunteer or made up of both career and volunteer. Um, and so, you know, we, we have a lot of volunteers that are putting in a lot of time towards this. And um, most of them work full-time jobs or they're students or they have families and um, they do this um, on the side and in addition to their other responsibilities. And really, I think the number one thing that uh, can go a long way to support that is just to thank them, recognize the people that are out there um, putting themselves in harm's way every day, not just with COVID-19, but just in general. Um, we've got a lot of people that step up all of the time to uh, provide these services to our community and to keep our, our community safe. And so just a little bit of thanks, recognition, support. Uh, we've had a lot of people reach out to us over the last few months, um, either wanting to donate or to drop off uh, meals for volunteers to, uh, we've had a lot of people sewing masks um, and, and really that and just this saying thank you goes a long way. Um, for your, the second part of your question about how people that want to volunteer can get involved from the medical standpoint, usually with EMS, it's a little bit more of a long-term commitment than something that someone can just step in and do for the short time. However, if, uh, if they are interested in helping specifically for this, um, there's a medical reserve corps that does a lot of coordination of the volunteers for this effort. And so they can get a hold of that medical reserve corps or contact the health department hotline and they can kind of put them in touch with those people. Yeah, I, I echo what uh, Dave's comments are there. You know, our, our volunteers uh, in, in Montgomery County and our surrounding counties, Pulaski County, Foy County, uh, Giles County, they're, they're a valuable resource to us. Uh, we don't know what we would do if we didn't have those volunteers uh, to run fire and EMS. Uh, you take the average person that's a volunteer with a local agency, uh, they still work an eight to five job or a 12 to eight job. Uh, they volunteer on their time off. Uh, they still have their families to take care of. Uh, they have to worry about uh, what's going to happen if we go out here on a COVID call. Uh, what are the chances uh, that we may take this stuff back home to our families? Uh, we've had to reassure our people that we're taking all the precautions that we can to uh, protect our own members and then we have the rapid testing in place that if we have a contact with a COVID patient and there's any doubt, we can have our first responders tested immediately and get those results back uh, as soon as we can, including our law enforcement personnel and get them back on the street uh, to serve the public. So, you know, our volunteers are tremendous. They provide a, uh, a very valuable resource to our community and, and our, I would bet, uh, community-wide, uh, Montgomery, Pulaski, Giles, Floyd County. Uh, I bet we have well over a thousand volunteers in these areas. I know just in Montgomery County alone, we have over 400. 
So uh, these, these volunteers provide a valuable resource to the community. Great, I appreciate both of you sharing that message about the role of volunteers in this, it's substantial. Um, Chief Hanks, you were talking about testing that's available for these folks who are in this um, in public safety roles. Uh, Chief Wilson, do you have any follow-up on that? I know you've been close with the task force and testing. Any you know, other follow-up for uh, testing for public safety officials, police, fire, EMS? Yeah, Kevin, I, that's a great question. And uh, part of the emphasis on when we, we first started talking about forming a task force was uh, we, we saw this thing coming across the horizon and, and we knew that, that it, it, while it wasn't going to be any really in any one of our wheelhouses uh, to fix, um, we quickly partnered with Virginia Department of Health and I, and I know folks got to meet Dr. Bissell last week and uh, we were absolutely blessed to have somebody of that talent uh, in our region here. So when we got together, uh, what we brought to the table was, was an enormous logistics machine. And if you look across this, this spectrum of folks who are here today, uh, while none of us are doctors or, or medical professionals, um, we all are very good at providing resources. And, and one of the first thing Dr. Bissell said is that, that for this region to get ahead, we need to have testing capability. And uh, so some of our folks here, uh, and, and I'll refer to them as our logistics experts, and it's Curtis Witt, who works for Billy at the Christopher Fire Department. Michael Geary, uh, you'll meet him in a later call, is a brand new uh, emergency service coordinator from Montgomery County um, were instrumental, absolutely fantastic uh, in finding and locating resources to for Dr. Bissell's group to get going with testing. So as a result of this action, and this started way up uh, the end of February, the first weeks of March, we were ramping up our, our production and, and so on in Montgomery County. It quickly went out to be the Durham Health District, uh, we were able to offer testing, and not only for all our first responders, but we offered testing for, for all of our citizens in this region. Um, I know they gave the, the public health hotline last week, and I don't know Kevin will probably put it back out again today, um, but we, we created a machine where all of our citizens can, can, if they feel they have been exposed or they feel like they might possibly uh, come in contact with someone, we have a mechanism to test all of our citizens. Um, Billy did respond to that, that through a coordinated effort with our Virginia Tech partners, we do have a mechanism to, to shorten the return time on testing, especially on our first responders. And, and uh, I'll tell you, this partnership has allowed us, uh, and I'm sure all the chiefs and on the stage will say the same thing, is, is none of us have lost a first responder for more than a couple days at max. And that was during a, uh, we put them under a investigative period where we had them tested and we were able to return them safely to the job within two to three days. So it's, it's been a remarkable process and, and we are simply the, the grinding machine part. The, the brains of it is Dr. Bissell and her medical staff. Absolutely. Kevin, there, there's so many pieces to that puzzle too, you know, and. And I'm sure if we tried to name them all, we would leave someone out. I definitely don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but 
all of our regional partners, you know, all the law enforcement agencies, including Virginia Tech and Radford University, uh, the the public works crews from the towns, uh, the the uh, uh, Virginia Department of Transportation got a signage to be able to put signage out uh, to when we have test sites. Uh, just amazing cooperation through all the agencies and the departments within these agencies. Uh, we pulled permit technicians from the building department uh, to help us with check-ins at, uh, at sites to keep accountability of all of our people on site. So it's, it's been a real community effort, a, a collaborative effort between all the agencies and uh, I don't think you can find that anywhere else that's worked this smooth. It's excellent to hear. Thank you all for providing a little more insight on testing that's available and how it's conducted through those drive-through facilities. Uh, this next question is for Sheriff Parton. What measures have been taken at the Montgomery County Jail to ensure the safety and health of not only the inmates, but also the staff within the facility? So Kevin, we recognize uh, sometime back in March when all of this was ramping up, um, it became pretty visible that we needed to uh, cut visitation. We needed to cut contact from the outside world, basically. Uh, with consultations with the Commonwealth's Attorney's Office and our judges, uh, we decided to end uh, weekend sentencing. We basically decided to limit all travel in and out of the jail as much as possible. Uh, and remembering back in March, we didn't know as much as we know now about transmission and everything else that, that we've come to learn. Um, through Dr. Bissell and her staff, uh, we have recently been able to test the jail on a voluntary basis. And I'm, I'm very happy to report that we tested probably 35 people, inmates and staff, uh, all negative. And all of that is uh, directly correlated with the care and the work that the staff has done in that jail. Uh, they have gone above and beyond and done everything humanly possible to keep uh, the jail clean, number one, and to keep the traffic minimized. And all of our law enforcement partners as well, they, they've all recognized that the jail was a critical piece to protect through this. Just, just like the task force has, has um, you know, taken it to heart that we have to protect our hospitals and our healthcare facilities. The jail was, was lumped into the same category as it should be. And, um, it has been a phenomenal thing to see when there have been so many crises all over the country that we hear about every day. And thank goodness we haven't had to deal with that here. And it's, it's just a result of, of everyone working together and um, especially Dr. Bissell and her crew, just to echo what Chief Wilson said, uh, they've just been fabulous to work with, and they love their community. Thank you, Sheriff. This next question I'll direct to the panel, and I'll ask our university uh, folks to respond first. And that's, to what extent 
are the, the first responders in law enforcement seeing and responding to wellness or mental health issues, such as de you know, depression, distress, anger uh, within the communities? So <clears throat> at Virginia Tech, the, you know, in, in general, mental health is a significant issue across the board in, in university settings. Um, with the reduction in population, certainly uh, we've seen a reduction in uh, calls relating to that type of um, incident going on or people kind of finding themselves in crisis, which has been fortunate. Um, again, some of the benefits to this partnership is we've been able to kind of recreate mechanisms to make sure that we can still get the services that are needed uh, when people find themselves in crisis. Um, kind of working through some of the obstacles and making sure that while um, you know we can find people the necessary tools they need when they just need somebody to talk to and then when it's determined that they need to kind of get greater help in mental health capacity that we can get people face-to-face um, -face with people that are able to help them. Um, in general, I think the community's responded very well um, and has handled this crisis very well, which speaks um, volumes to how everybody in general is doing about the COVID situation. And I'll just say, just as far as, a, as, far as Chief Babb was talking about, I mean, the resources that we have on campus and that, you know, that with the population doing online training and so forth, uh, classes, uh, you know, it's been, it's been sort of reduced. I've only probably had a couple mental health uh, calls over the last um, probably several weeks. Um, we have a lot, of, a lot of resources out there. Uh, you know, we have in the New River Valley, we've got a lot of resources out there and, and, and that are taken care of pretty quickly. Um, so, I mean, it's, uh, I, I think you see a reduction right now versus an increase. Out. Anybody else on our panel like to respond to that topic? Kevin, the only thing that I'll add is, you know, obviously this is a stressor to our community. Uh, it impacts a lot of people in many different ways. And we know that there's that we've had an uptick in mental health calls from a law enforcement perspective. Uh, I think our message to our citizenry is if you're struggling mentally, then at this point you need to reach out. I mean, you reach out to your mental health providers, your counselors, and if you don't have that in place, then you reach out to law enforcement because we can be that conduit for assistance that that citizen may need. And to follow up, one, one other thing that, that uh, Chief Sisson was alluding to is, is I think you heard it last week uh, from our mental health professional and our medical professionals that, that fear has has driven a lot of people away from from attending their counseling sessions and, and getting to follow-up care and reaching out for help uh, through fear of contracting the virus. Um, but I think they also show, have shown that, that in this area the, we have created very safe environment to return to counseling, to return to get help, to go to the hospitals when you need medical help. But especially in this mental health field, we, we've worked with those professionals tirelessly to, to find the right mechanisms to get everybody to counseling. And, and uh, it, it's, it's far better to seek the service today than try to deal with a problem on their own. And like I said, if, if nothing else comes to, to mind or you can't find the, the right service, Simply call us and we'll direct in the right direction. Great. Thank you all very much for addressing that topic. 
Um, this next one, I'll direct it to Chief Dodson, and we can go around the table after that. Uh, but during the time of the stay-at-home order, is law enforcement, are you all seeing an increase, decrease, or same level of crime in the communities? What does that picture look like? So, Kevin, I, I, we're not seeing an increase in crime. Actually, um, for April here in Radford City, we actually saw a, a little bit of a decrease in overall crime. Uh, one of the things that we focused on um, here in Radford City, we did see a slight increase in property crimes and crimes of opportunity. And what I mean by that is uh, larcenies from vehicles, um, frauds. You know, we, we had the stimulus package that came out from the federal government. And of course, when anything like that comes out, you always have folks that are going to be preying on uh, the vulnerable and trying to uh, scam or fraud folks out of their money. So we've uh, put out several educational things on our social media outlets and tried to educate the public about um, frauds and scams that are out. As far as our property crimes and things, we've really encouraged officers to step up patrols of businesses and um, neighborhoods to um, combat that as well. So, but as far as crime, um, I would say just a slight decrease here. Anybody else want to chime in on that one? Well, Pulaski, we initially in March, we, we had a similar, uh, a similar situation, but in uh, April, we had a spike. Uh, our calls for service, calls for service, not necessarily crimes, calls for service was up 100%. Uh, we have property crimes and burglary that, that has increased, which seems to be a little, um, contradiction in the fact that if everybody's staying home, we should we should be receiving calls of these people. But, but uh, uh, that that has that has uh, that has been an issue for us in the past month. They the troops have been real busy. How about fire and rescue calls, Chief Hanks, Chief English? Would you like to speak to that? Yeah, Kevin, our, our fire call volume is down about 40% right now. So uh, the Christiansburg Fire Department uh, covers uh, about uh, 25 miles of Interstate 81, uh, which, which there's a tremendous call volume on 81. But we've had relatively few accidents on 81 compared to what we have normally. So I think that's a testament to everyone staying at home statewide. Uh, we don't have the, the travelers that come through uh, the county on 81 the way they normally do. We don't have the traffic volume uh, the way we normally do. Uh, our, our overall call volume uh, in, in the town of Christiansburg, uh, fire and EMS are both down. And uh, maybe maybe Dave can give us a, an update from Blacksburg, but I think overall uh, call volume is down tremendously, and that's due to the fact that everyone has uh, taken the advice of the governor and and the health officials, and everybody's staying at home. Yeah, thanks, Billy. We're seeing the same thing with rescue here in Blacksburg. Our call volume's down about forty percent. We actually tracked it pretty closely, and it was actually um, kind of amazing. When the stay-at-home order got issued, um, within about two to three-day window of that, on either side, um, 
we grafted out and our, our call volume plummeted um, down to about half of what it normally is. And it's just slowly crept back up just a little bit, but it's still down about 40% of what it normally is. And that's good. And the fact that I think people are staying home and they're keeping themselves healthy and safe. Um, but we do urge people that if they do have an emergency to still call, we're still there. We're still staffing the same that we always have. And so while, you know, we're happy that people are healthy and not being injured, um, we're afraid that if somebody is just fearful and not calling because of that, that they may wind up in worse shape. So please always call, even if it's just a matter of you want to get us to come check you out. And if you ultimately decide that you don't want to go to the hospital, that's your right. But uh, we would always prefer to come and, and check you out if you need it. Great. Thank you. Well, as the stay-at-home order is transitioning to safer at home, entering phase one, I think folks are probably getting a little antsy to get out and about. And we have the question, is it safe for me to travel to other parts of the state or even out of state? Uh, Sheriff Parton, do you want to start with us, start on that one for us? So, Kevin, as, uh, as we do move into phase one on Friday, um, obviously, traffic will probably pick up somewhat and folks will start moving around a little bit more uh, we are as always very hopeful that common sense will prevail and as long as folks uh, keep in mind everything that that they should be doing and everything that we have been doing to kind of stall this thing um, you know, I, I think Dr. Bissell really kind of answered that question last week uh, when she said, you know, just because you travel from Virginia to North Carolina, Virginia to West Virginia, or wherever, you know, the virus does not stop at the state line. So as long as everyone remembers to do what we have been doing and they know what they should be doing by now, um, you know, we're just going to deal with it as it comes. And I'll just go back to everybody has been doing a great job. Let's just keep on doing it. Great. Yeah, there's been increased uh, media reporting about some reckless driving cases that are taking place in other parts of Virginia or across the country. Um, and what, what are you all see as plans to enforce traffic laws and what, what do you recommend to those who are watching? I, I'll start, I guess. And, and it's uh, that, you know, we, we've heard, heard some of that conceptually, but, but uh, you know, I, when I talk to the, the men and women who work for us who are still out, uh, still doing traffic, uh, that that is, uh, they're seeing such light volumes of traffic. And, and once again, it goes back to a testament to this community that we all live in, um, that folks have done such a good job about adhering to the guidelines and so on. But uh, I, I think the public should know that that, uh, that we're here, we've been here the entire time, that, that we are urging them to use uh, their own uh, good sense and, and common sense as they start to come back out here. But I, I think 
like I said, a lot of those uh, those rumors about people recklessly flying around, uh, we certainly haven't had data that, that backs up that thing. And, and my guys and girls have been out 24-7 and doing the same patrolling that they've always done. We had a question that came in that is along a similar line um, about safe social distancing or physical distancing, but it's more directed about how would law enforcement handle someone who is intentionally trying to infect others or behave in a menacing way? Hey, Kevin, we've actually already dealt with that on uh, several occasions in the jail. And uh, those folks um, have been charged with assault on law enforcement officers. So I, I can speak from the sheriff's office point of view anyway. Uh, that won't be tolerated. And Kevin, here in Radford City, we've also uh, received some guidance from our Commonwealth attorney on that. We haven't um, had any incidents of it that the sheriff speaks of, but we have received some guidance and related to our officers from the Commonwealth attorney's office about should that occur within the city, how we're going to handle it. So, Very good. Well, I think it's worthwhile. We have several people who are watching this program. If you all could provide some tips on being safe as it respects to theft and fraud. You talked about some fraud potential earlier. What are some best practices that people should be following with respect to theft and fraud? So, Kevin, I'll, I'll start that. Um, I, I think one of the, the main things is, is if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Um, you know, a lot of folks are, you know, scammed on these things about getting money or if you send, you know, a certain amount of money, you're going to get X number of dollars more than what you sent. Uh, so really just if it seems too good to be true, it probably is uh, not giving anybody any personal information over the phone or online or anything like that. Not any kind of bank account information. As far as the larcenies and crimes of opportunity, just using good um, practices to protect yourself. Uh, if you have a vehicle, locking your vehicle is probably the most important thing you can do. Um, taking valuables, putting them out of sight, not leaving you know, valuables within sight that people can see when they pass by your car. Um, and just uh, calling and reporting suspicious activity to the police. If you know people see something happening in the neighborhood and they think, that it's suspicious behavior. Uh, it may seem very little, it may seem very minor, uh, but for law enforcement, it may be something very big. It may be something that we use to solve a bigger case. Maybe we're looking for that piece of information to solve a series of uh, larcenies that we're currently working. So just encouraging our citizens to report uh, suspicious behavior. They live in the neighborhoods, they know their neighborhoods best. So call us if they see something out of place. And please check our uh all of us have a website or a Facebook page or other social media that we all are constantly updating the scams as they come out, as they reappear. And I think it's important for people to realize it can and will happen to you. Uh, and what Chief Dotson said about locking cars, uh, that, that's a continual problem that everybody knows uh, you should be doing, but we we have incidents of, of taking thefts from cars just left unlocked overnight because everybody thinks in their neighborhood, no one will bother it, but 
people coming through those streets don't necessarily are your neighbors. Well, I've, I've hit you all with a lot of questions. Are there areas that we didn't cover that you all want to share some more information on tonight? I have one point. Um, you know, if you're 20 years old, you got 20 years of habits. If you're 60 years old, you have 60 years of habits. And I think that's part of what some of these questions are, like if someone gets too close to you and that kind of thing. You're, we're, we're used to that. And as, as time progresses, we might back off our guard a little bit. When the, to, uh, on Friday, when we go into uh, the next phase, as it, as it were, um, that does not mean that, that we shouldn't still be practicing those safe habits. The potential of this is not abated. So we need to be diligent in everything we do, just like we started and continue that probably through the rest of this year, at least. And Kevin, I just want to add, I know this has been hit on as well, but uh, the community really has stepped up with this. Uh, and I think, um, you know, the, the phase one starting on Friday, you know, that that's the first step. You know, the governor, I think, refers to it as that dimmer switch. And we're, we're cranking that dimmer switch up just a little bit, but I would just encourage the, the residents, the businesses and the citizens just to continue the, the hard work that they're doing, the social responsibility about keeping their self healthy and keeping, um, you know, adherence to these guidelines that are being put out, but also do it for your neighbor. Uh, do it for the people that are vulnerable in our community that have pre-existing conditions and uh, just keep up the good work because they really have stepped up and done a good job. Well, that's a great message. Any other parting words from our panelists this evening before we conclude? All right, well, our community has done an excellent job yet again submitting thoughtful questions and spurred some great conversation this evening among our panelists. I wanna thank each of our panelists for your participation and also wanna express my gratitude for the service that each of our panelists provides in their communities and the team members that you work with across the region on a daily basis. So as we look to the future, the Public Health Task Force is creating the playbook to help everyone in the Newer Valley navigate the next phase, recovery. This series of virtual town halls is your opportunity to continue that conversation. We invite you to join us each Wednesday at 6 p.m. If you're not able to watch live, the series will be archived on YouTube. Links will also be posted to agency websites and social media. The series will also be rebroadcast on local access cable stations, including Comcast and Shintel Channel 190 for Christiansburg and Montgomery County, along with Comcast Channel 2 in Blacksburg. Additional dates and topics for the virtual town hall series include the following. On May 20th, we'll have local government. May 27th, be local and small business. June 3rd, education with a focus on K through 12. June 10th, be education focusing on colleges and universities. So before we wrap up this evening, I want to extend a special thank you to those behind the scenes who are making the virtual town hall series possible. They're the public information officers who serve our local governments, agencies, and higher education institutions in the region program would not be possible without their contributions. 
thank you all. Be well. That concludes the recording of the second virtual town hall meeting. We hope you found it informative and will share it with others in our community. We plan to provide these recordings after each meeting takes place, so we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. If you are interested in submitting a question for an upcoming meeting, visit montva.com slash nrvtownhall.